Lord, those prayers are real. We want to want to be able to give ourselves fully to you, and we ask for your help to do that. Because you alone are worthy. You alone are the one with the words of eternal life. We know that all things in our life are laid bare before you, Lord. Nothing is hidden from your eyes. So we ask that you would open to us now what we need to know from your word. You say that your word is like a a sharp surgeon's scalpel that's able to go deep inside of us to, to bring about the healing that we need. So Jesus, would you bring about that healing even now? Open us to your word, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, it is great to be together. I want to remind you, uh, all the kids, it's time. If this is a time for you, you want to head on to the back. Uh, Miss Renee and others are back there. They'd love to meet with you and uh, give you a kind of experience that's really geared for who you are today. And for the rest of us who are hanging out here, I've got a couple of thoughts I want to share with you um, that I find really interesting because this whole summer long, we have been talking about the one another passages. And I, I just have just been struck by how relevant they are for us today, right? I mean, here are these documents that were written 2,000 years ago to a first century believers, and yet they are really relevant for us 21st century types. So what I want to do today, very simply, I mean, it's, it's nothing, not rocket science here. What I want to do today is just take a moment to take a look at the historical context. You know, what was Paul writing into? What was Peter writing into? Look at their historical context and then see how that context plays in for us today in our own context. We're looking at two specific passages, um, Galatians 5.13 and 1 Peter 4.10. We're looking at the one another passage which says to serve one another in love. All right, to begin, we're going to look at Galatians. Paul wrote to the Galatian churches because some Jewish Christians were members of the church and they were teaching that you needed to follow Moses' law in order to follow Jesus fully. And this teaching was causing quite a stir among the believers. It was threatening their unity. It was disrupting their love for one another. Here's what Paul said about it in some cases. Listen to this. He said, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's some serious words. I mean, it's almost like they had social media. You know, you can just, you just see the biting and devouring going on there. Later, later on, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. It was a significant moment in all these different churches. And into this time of great tension, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Galatians 5.13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Now, a few verses later, Paul says that that, they, uh, that when you use your freedom uh, to follow your sinful nature, it leads to things like hatred, quarreling, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, anger, division, envy. But if you use your freedom to follow the Spirit, you find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He said, you've been called to live in freedom, but don't use that freedom to satisfy your desire to retaliate or respond to someone else's anger by being angry against them. Rather than respond by satisfying your own desire, step out and do something that meets the actual need. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. Basically, Paul taught that when tensions within the church are beginning to rise, 
Christians are expected to look beyond their own sinful nature and desires to put the other person's interests ahead of their own. That's Paul's teaching. Let's take a look at what Peter said. When Peter wrote his letter, the storm clouds of persecution and very difficult times were already present and were building. The Roman culture had misinterpreted uh, what the believers of Christ were saying and doing, and so they had twisted things so that Christians were understood to be uh, bad citizens. They were people that were a blight on the Roman landscape. Their belief either needed to be changed or it needed to be wiped off the face of the earth. In the first part of his letter, Peter focused on a believer's conduct in the midst of suffering. In the second part here in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he shifts his focus to talk about a believer's conduct within the church. And this is what he says. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That's the passage for today, verse 10. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So Peter says that when tensions are rising outside of the church, believers then are expected to, to show love deeply for one another by taking the gifts that they have received from God and using them to serve one another in love. So when we take Paul's teaching and Peter's teaching together, we see that the scripture teaches that no matter what's going on inside the church, no matter what's going on outside the church in the culture, followers of Christ are supposed to love and act like Jesus. Not rocket science, right? But how did Jesus do it? John 13 is a great example. John, John 13 is a great example of that. So let's take a look at that real quick. In John 13, this is the last night that Jesus was with his disciples before his crucifixion. It was the night in which Jesus was going to be betrayed by one of them. It was the night that Jesus gathered his little church, right? His 12 disciples, his little church together for the Last Supper in the upper room. And things were not well and healthy in that little church at that time. There was tremendous conflict and lack of unity. Remember how the disciples were all arguing with each other about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Uh, who was going to have the higher honor. In fact, the mother of James and John had actually petitioned Jesus so that one of her boys could sit on his left and the other on his right. And that little power grab caused all kinds of situations to develop these riling and, and, and disagreements that were taking place among the disciples. But it wasn't just tension in the little church. Cultural tensions were reaching a fevered pitch. Religious leaders were actively trying to discredit and remove Jesus. Political leaders and, and Roman leaders were all on edge because of what was taking place as the, as the population of Jerusalem was just swelling with a number of unpredictable pilgrims coming for the Passover festival. And what was it? Jesus did in the midst of this moment where there was tension in the church and tension in society? John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things into his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to the place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, and no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Friends, the one and other passages that we're looking at this summer are not just quaint suggestions of things that we ought to do for one another. These are strategic commands from God's own heart that are intended to let his wisdom and his salvation message be known to all creation. Now, I say all creation and not just all humanity for a reason. Ephesians 3.10 has some really interesting words for us. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church, that's you and me, he was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to who? To all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when we choose to live by the Spirit, when we refuse to allow our sinful nature to drive us to some sort of action, when we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit living in us so that we respond in ways that build up instead of tear down, God's good news goes forth. Salvation has come. Redemption has been accomplished and applied. New life is flowing into God's creation. And Jesus Christ is king over all. You see, I think there's more going on in the way that we relate to one another than we may actually realize. Okay, so that's some of the historical background, okay? With that in the back of our heads, let's now take it a little deeper in 1 Peter 4.10. See what Peter has to tell us about stewards, and then see how it relates to us today. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Most of us know a spiritual gift is some special enabling that God gives to each follower of Christ, and he expects us to use that gift in some way to build up his body, this church. I like to think of these things as tangible expressions of God's love in our midst. Because when somebody serves someone else in the name of Christ without any expectation of personal gain, that's a picture of God's love in action. Now, God freely distributes these gifts to people. And it's not just spiritual gifts here. We're going to expand it out because he gives everything that we have. Right? So God freely gives what we have to all people who follow him and call him Lord. And then he expects us to freely use what we have freely received. This understanding goes way back. It goes right back to what Jesus said to his disciples, the instructions he gave to them when he sent them out for the first time to proclaim the good news of the coming kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 10, he said this. Jesus told them, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
Earlier he said, don't take an extra tunic, don't take a purse with you, don't take a staff. You rely on the Holy Spirit because he's going to supply all you need. And we see that the Holy Spirit freely gave them everything they needed and freely gave them this particular spiritual gift to heal. And he was expected, all the disciples then were expected, to use everything that God had given them freely. Peter starts verse 10 with this truth. God has given you a gift. He then concludes with an admonition. Use them wisely. That's the New Living Translation. If you see some other translations, they take it a little more exacting. In the Greek, it's as good stewards. So use the gifts that God has given you as good stewards. Let's talk about that a minute. The Apostle Paul asked the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? And the expectation was that the, the Corinthians would say, well, nothing, because everything I have, I've received. And I, I think that might be a first century idea. In the 21st century, we've kind of got things muddied a little bit. Because we can all see that there are things that we have that we didn't receive, right? Like life. I didn't choose to be born. I, my parents, I didn't choose them. Uh, the country in which you are. You know, these, there are different things. People with athletic ability. Uh, that's a gift in the way. Oh, yes, it's a God-given gift. We get that. But some folks have a hard time seeing other things as coming from God, too. They, they'll say things, yeah, but Rob, don't you realize that I, I worked hard for my education? And afterwards, I made those choices. The choices that led to my vocation, the choices that led to where I live, the choices that led to what I drive and where I live and what I do. And I hear that. But to that, I would respectfully, respectfully reply, were you really the originating source behind all of those things. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase because of all you, because of all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. What do you have that you have not received? Since you have received it, be a good steward and use them well. A steward is a manager, not an owner. Whether it's life or breath or words or time or attitude or personality or personal possessions, no matter what it might be, we steward what we have. We don't possess it. God is the owner. We are the managers of what he entrusts into our care. And as Paul said to the Corinthians, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So scripture teaches that God has given us spiritual gifts and he instructs us to use them to serve one another in the body to build up the body of, of, of Christ and when we do this, we work out God's eternal plan to display his wisdom in all of its rich variety, not only to the world around us, but also to the unseen powers and authorities in the heavenly places. And as we do that, all glory and honor is returned back to whom it is due. I think there is more going on in how we relate to each other than we might fully realize. Earlier in his letter, the Apostle Peter 
said that we are to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. We are to sanctify him. We are to set him apart. We are to, to acknowledge that he is the sole authority in my life. He is the sole authority that can direct how I live my life. And as I've shared so many times before, this is an important junction point in every one of the messages we give, in that it's not about uh, willfully obeying what God wants. Okay, Lord, I'll do that now. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. It's not about willfully obeying what he wants. It's about lovingly surrendering to who he is. And when we lovingly surrender to who he is, as his life is in us, it frees his life and his love to flow into us more fully without limit. And when his life and his love become the source of our motivation, that's when we find ourselves becoming more and more transformed into his image as we begin to live like our Lord from the very center of our being. And that's when the praise returns to the one to whom it is due. I think that's the reason why Peter ended this section with these words. When you do these things, he said, then everything you do will bring God glory through Christ Jesus all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So how can we respond to these words for us today? Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, understandably so. Look for ways that you can take what you have, the gifts and skills and abilities and resources, and serve others in the church. Uh, Sometimes, don't, don't worry about trying to find your gift. You know, I got to discern my gift first. Don't do that. Just, just go ahead and serve and watch how God unfolds and leads you in that. Sometimes it's going to be spontaneous and unplanned, right? You're going along the way and there's an opportunity to serve. It means you're going to have to interrupt your own schedule, your own plans, your own moment, and that's okay to do. And sometimes it'll be planned and you'll be able to say, okay, I can take a meal to that person on Tuesday night. Or I can fulfill that task on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. or whatever the case might be. No matter what it is, just ask the Lord, as Deweese was doing, asking the Lord for an opportunity. Ask the Lord for an opportunity to serve and then be aware of the answer to your prayer. If you'd like a place to begin, i got a couple suggestions for you. I know that uh, children's ministry and youth ministry can always use some enthusiastic help and some behind-the-scenes help as well. Uh, I know that Worship Arts Ministry is always looking for some, some folks who can assist, not just artistically up front, but also behind the scenes, our faithful servants up on the balcony, uh, who you never really know are there unless they're not there, and then you know they're not there, you know? <laughs> with, uh, with the sound and the microphones and the cameras and the live stream, wow, we, you know, the behind the scenes folks. Um, or maybe it's the International Friendship Program that we have. They're gearing up for a brand new year. Whatever the case might be, if this resonates with you or if you're looking for some help with that, just fill out a communicate card. It's in, the, in, in your row. Uh, and drop it off in the box on the back on the left on the way out. Someone will be in touch with you this week to, to, to discern. Not to sign you up, That's not, but to discern how God might have you use your gifts and abilities to serve the church uh, in the weeks ahead. That's the first thing, okay? Go ahead and serve. The second thing, and this is, this is where I put most of my emphasis always, because I think this is equally as important, but also there's, there's an underlying thing that makes it almost more important in some respects. First, go ahead and serve. Second, as you serve, be aware of your motivation and the emotions you feel while you do it. Why are you hesitant to serve in that way? Ask the Lord why. Are you feeling joy in the midst of the service, or do you feel like, oh man, I gotta get this done, I got so many other, you know, what is going on? Experience what's taking place, and then as you, as you identify those emotions, 
Take them back to the Lord and ask him what's going on with that. It's amazing what takes place here because often it's in the act of serving that God reveals to us those inner parts of our lives that still need more forming into Christ's image. It's as we serve that we learn those places that we still need to surrender over to the Lord. You've seen it in your life. I've seen it in my life. You know, you think you're doing pretty well in an area, then you realize, ah, oh, there's more layers to this one. You know, it's as I'm serving that I begin to see another angle to my own pride, right? I don't want to be doing this. And I got more important things to do than this. Huh. Woohoo, there it is. Or, or, or maybe, maybe um, it's envy. How come he's not serving over here? What gives him a. I wish I was like him. I don't, you know, it's like, woohoo, there it is. <laughs> or maybe it's fear. If I don't do this, what are other people going to think of me? There it is. When, 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 when the Lord brings to mind, one of those barriers that are keeping you from serving like Christ, don't run away from it. Take a look at it. And then gently surrender it back to the Lord. Remember that he is your loving Heavenly Father. And so as you gently surrender it back to the Lord, ask him to, to take it from you. Acknowledge what it is. Acknowledge what's going on in your heart. And then listen for his voice to say, it's okay, my beloved one. You're already forgiven. Let's try it again together. Oh, and by the way, well done, good and faithful steward. Would you please pray with me? Lord, as you lead us to serve, please take us below the surface of the emotions that we feel and the motivations that drive us. You are so good and loving, so help us be completely honest with you about what we find and how we feel about it, because this is all about you doing your work and us surrendering more fully to you. And then, Lord, help us to gently and lovingly surrender each barrier we find back to you. Teach us how we might be a servant to others, and then help us to let others be a servant to us. In your own grace and in your mercy, would you... Would you let us be as Christ to each other so that your gospel goes out and your name is honored throughout all creation? And in your grace, Lord, would you help the words of our closing song today become an authentic expression of our hearts, something from deep down in. Let this become a prayer, Lord, of what we would like to see take place in our own lives. Lord, we surrender to you. Have your way. Make us your servants. Amen.